This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to Connect with Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. I'm Holly Snape from Community Waikato. Also, though, from CNA, Community Networks Aotearoa, in a board position. And today I have with me Roz Rice, our EO, Executive Officer, from uh, Community Networks Aotearoa. Welcome, Roz. Let's start, though, with Incorporated Societies, uh, with a bill that's, that's currently um, been floating out and about. And I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what it is and what's sort of being proposed in this bill. That is going to be replacing the bill that has been sitting in government on our law books now since, I think, about 1908. So there's things like um, charges and uh, you get fined for things in 1908 that you have to pay a shilling. So (laughs) that's how out of date it is. Mm. Not that we really want to pay lots of money in fines and things, but that just gives you an idea how out of date. So this has been worked on since 2016. In 2016, a lawyer from Victoria University, a law professor, uh, Professor Jeff McClay, was seconded to the Law Commission and asked to take a good look through the current um, Incorporated Societies Act and I was around in 2016 Mm. and was sat with him and helped um, talk about a lot of things that were there but then it sort of disappeared Um, we didn't see anything about the changes to this act for quite a long time and then it came back with a bang this year and um, a bill was put through Parliament through its first reading And we all grabbed it and had a good look at it. And there's a lot of new stuff that um, incorporated societies need to be aware of. There's a whole new section in the bill regarding amalgamations, which is quite interesting. Um, Because previously, if you wanted to amalgamate with another organisation, the amount of legal difficulties that you came across were quite considerable. Mm. And now there's a whole new section in the, the new um, bill, which hasn't yet become an act, so it's not yet law, but clo- will be soon, um, that tells you, takes you step by step through how you can legally amalgamate with another organisation. So but, that's not going to affect everyone, but it's new and interesting. And it actually sounds really positive. Uh, mm. We've certainly seen organisations in the past you know, consider doing that kind of thing and often have to end up winding up organisations and establishing something new, which seems cumbersome if there can be a much more straightforward process. So it's great that that they've been considering that. Um, I don't know if many of the listeners know, but we've just done a membership research project um, and a lot of the members of Community Networks Aotearoa are incorporated societies. And we've found that a lot of them, when we've said to them, who are your membership?, Mm. There's a, a reasonable number of them who go, oh, everyone in our province, yes. anyone who walks in our door. We don't have defined membership, but we consider anyone who gets our newsletter is our member. I'm afraid that that's never been legal if you're an incorporated society, mm. but now it's really going to be pushed. You will have to have a defined membership, 
and you must keep an up-to-date membership list. And people go, why? And um, one of the reasons why you must have, as an incorporated society, a defined membership is that only your members can take you to court. Mm. If, if, um, if somebody has uh, uh, something against you or your organization and want to take you to court and charge you with something, and they're not one of your members, they actually don't have a right to do it. But if you don't have a defined membership, you are open to anybody, anywhere, at any time, who feels like taking you to court. So that's just one reason why it's really important to have a defined membership and keep an up-to-date um, membership list. And up-to-date is important. It means you have to constantly keep an eye on whether it's um, the people and the addresses and the roles and mm. things of your members are um, relevant to now. Mm. But um, it's also always been law, and it is something that you can be um, pulled up by the registrar of companies for if you don't do it. Mm. But now it's, it's particular. And I think one of the really important things is that before, um, when this act, when this bill becomes an act, Everyone who's in an Incorporated Societies Act is going to have to reapply for incorporation mm. to the company's office. And um, so if you don't have your defined membership and an up-to-date membership list when you reapply for incorporation, you're not going to get incorporated, and that's quite serious. I'll tell you a really positive. Yeah. And they're all positive because they all help us... Um, uh, stand up and meet legal requirements is is important for us to understand that as an incorporated society you frequently um, are GST um, registered yes. and you you can apply to be um, how do you put it um, don't have to pay GST anymore or you get it fun, refunded mm -hmm. and if you are not sticking to the legal rules then um, and you're not uh, GST um, exempt, then um, you also have financial fallback. So that's one of the things about being an incorporated society and a legal entity is that you do get some positives, and if you can't be bothered meeting the requirements of your legal entity, then you're not going to get those positives. No, no, and... You know that that sounds fair. Um, do you I have any? To talk, sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, I was just going to ask if you had any particular reservations about some of the proposed changes. Well, I'll tell you one I don't have. Yeah. I don't have any reservation at all about now being allowed to include Maori in your name, or to express tikanga or culture in your constitution if you want to. Was that Previously, a problem before? Really? Yep. Now you're allowed to do it. So that's. You know, just fabulous that they've come up to date with all that sort of stuff. It's a bit frightening that you couldn't before. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, well, we're a moving, evolving um, society, so... Yeah, yeah. Perhaps their attitude to things like that in 1908 was different than it is now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so that's certainly certainly very positive. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do have reservations about a few things. Um and things, um, they really just need to be clarified. Okay. There are things that need to be clarified. Um, a good example is, and apparently you've always been able to do this, but I myself was unaware of it, 
is that when you set up an incorporated society previously, you had to have 15 persons sign your inaugural document. Mm -hmm. Now they've dropped it to 10. Mm. But if there is a body corporate involved in your application, they count as three. Mm. So in other words, you could have three body corporates and one other organization. Yeah. Four people to yeah. set up an incorporated society because the body corporates count as three each. And I'd like, although I believe this doesn't follow on through to other things, I would like clarification that that doesn't follow through for other voting in your, in your organisation. So, you know, if you have an AGM, does the body corporate still count as three? Yeah. It, you don't want that. And you don't yeah. want body corporates to be able to move into NGOs and, um, and have more power than everybody else. So, but I believe it, it just needs to be clarified. I, my understanding is it's simply in the setup of an incorporated society. Okay, yeah, so just some, some further clarity around um, the voting rights of body corporate and then what that looks like as a member going forward in the organisation in terms of its impact on quorum. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, we've made a quite a comprehensive submission. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some things in the submission that I just want to speak to, if I may. Sure. Um, we are really concerned about um, indemnity. Yeah, okay. So the, there is a requirement that um, uh, most that... Uh, well, let me get start again. Mm. If you join uh, the board of an organisation... And most boards of incorporated societies, my understanding is, are liable for decisions made by that society. Mm -hmm. What I did not realise is that that liability carries on until, with no end date. Ah, uh, okay. So say you're, um, I don't know, a committee member of a small incorporated society and then you leave. Yeah. And you go off and do other things, and that's part of your history, something you did back, you know, then. And then um, the incorporated society, say, winds up and closes down, and you're still just chugging along in your life. And then you finish work as you hit your, you know, these days, your 70s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're out in your garden one day, say, 40, 50 years later. And someone can say a decision you made when you were on that committee was something they didn't like and you can be taken to court for that because so you are still, all that time later, you're still liable. So is that, um, well, I don't know how to frame this, is that if, something, if the, the decision that you made was illegal, so if you defrauded, you know, did something actively illegal, or is it... Could you be held liable for, say, a poor decision? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, what I'm, I'm not trying to sure, say? but I, I think it's an illegal decision. Yeah. But here's the issue. 50 years later, if somebody decides to challenge something you did when you were back working in that organisation on their board, um, you still have to find the money to... Yes, um, defend, defend yourself. yourself. Yeah, yeah. Now, there is indemnity insurance, but it's mainly only for while 
offices are in the organisation. That's right, and I don't you, you can't indemnify yourself against illegal activity. So I would suggest mm. that if you're going through a criminal process, mm. I mean, I don't know, I don't know enough about insurance, but I would wonder then if, if it would mean mm. that that would preclude you from being able to use that. Um, use that insurance, I, I don't know. But yeah, well, we, we took some legal advice on it when we were doing our submission. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, yes, but if an organisation winds up, because we're saying it's ridiculous if the organisation is even wind, wound up, you know, yeah. and it still doesn't matter. I mean, it could still be there. The organisation could still be going. Lots of organisations go for, you know, many years. But whichever way, we're saying, what if the organisation winds up so it isn't even an existing organisation anymore? Yep. And the advice was that the organisation, when it winds up, can take out a thing called run-off insurance. Mm-hmm. And that is cheaper than normal insurance, but it covers over a few years. Oh, Okay. And um, you can take it out when you wind up to cover your offices over a certain period of time. That's, because, that's, yeah, that's interesting. But my question is, how many organisations that are winding up are going to be interested in doing that? You'd, you'd probably be looking at some of the larger organisations um, rather than like your normal, say, small sports club or... yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I think um, I think the point that you know when you're talking about all this, the point you're really making there too is actually there's a lot in this, and that mm. trustees, um, you know, board committee members need to think very carefully about what their fiduciary duties are, and actually need to understand this law. Yes. And they need to understand governance, which we'll talk about a bit yes. in, uh, down the line. And one last thing that I just want to bring up is um, that the way this. Well, this bill is written and at some points is very, very confusing. Legalese, is it? No, it's back to front and upside Ah, down. So an example is when they talk about you having to put forward your your accounting records, your financial reporting and your annual returns and your list of offices. Mm -hmm. It starts with saying you have to do it to the company's office. Yes. But you and I both know... Yes. That if you are a registered charity yep. and you do all your reporting to the registered charity, you do not need to send it to the company's yes. office. And it uh, says you go through two yeah. pages of yes. all the stuff you have to send to the company's office, and then you turn the page and the very last sentence says, this is not required if you're a registered charity. Yeah. Now, if you've actually worked your way through all that stuff, by then, you're bored silly with the legalese. Yeah. And the chances of people picking up that final sentence, it should be the first sentence. It, it should, yes. It should say, if you are a charitable entity... Or if you have charitable status, yes, yeah. You yeah. do not need to send all these things, all the stuff through to the company's office. Yeah. Uh, it says that in the last sentence after two pages of legalese about all the stuff they think you should do to yeah. the company's And it's not only us that will get confused by that. Um, banks get confused by that. I yes. would try and change signatures at a bank. Oh, give me strength. We all know how difficult that is. Mm-hmm. And I had three different calls over three days from three people each of them saying, but we went into the company's office and we couldn't find your list of offices. Yeah. And I went, that's because it's in charity services. Who's charity services? Mm. The bank. And we've actually taken that on board um, as CNA and mm. we're starting to work with banks 
about training their staff up on current legislation. Yeah. But, you know, there's stuff like that as well. well look, absolutely. But to, to some degree, it, it concerns me as well that there isn't the two-way conversation between societies or the company's office, the, the not-for-profit arm mm-hmm. of the company's office, and charity services, because yeah. really all that information should be forwarded through once it's submitted with charities, um, services, submitted, it should just be forwarded through to societies populated there so that people could access the information where they needed to. It just it surprises me that that isn't a process that happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we don't know that they don't forward it through, but what they don't do is put on their page Updated. where you go yes. and look for something. Yeah. This, this organisation's information is held at Charity Services. Yeah, here. exactly. Yeah. So, no, that yeah. seems simple. Maybe it's the next part of the advocacy, <laughs> Ros, is that we, we, we go to societies or the company's office and start we'll pushing say, for get that. Your act together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sounds great. We, um, we'll move on, though. I mean, encourage everyone to go and have a look at that act if you are an incorporated society. It's you, a bill at the moment, yes. not an act. Yep. Yes, and, and if you are... Um, if you're an organisation that doesn't know what your entity is, it's very important you find out um, because there are a whole heap of obligations tied to that. And membership, I think, is a really good example. A lot of incorporated societies haven't maintained that because they haven't really understood their obligation to. So it's no. so really important. Where are we at in terms of the process? When is this likely um, to be enacted into law, Ros? Right. Um, we have heard via the grapevine... Mm-hmm. that uh, the government wants this to be um, done and dusted before Christmas. Great. Yeah, so that's going to happen fast. we've put in our submission, and yeah. a lot of other people have put in yes. submissions, and we've asked to speak to the select committee, and I know a lot of people, other people have. No one has heard anything mm. at this point. Okay, so we're in that we're in that um, middle zone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where they're reading everything yeah. and working out yeah. Yeah, stuff. Yep. That's great. Well, look, uh, let's go to the governance project because this is an exciting um, initiative of CNAs um, and I'm really keen to hear where we're at and and what it's all about for those who who don't know about it. Okie dokie. What we realised at CNA is that there are a lot of people who go onto boards because they're good-hearted people who really want to give back to their communities, but they don't understand a whole lot of basic things and so they just floundering around, trying to find their way. Mm. And um, example is how to run a meeting, or how do you read your balance sheet? Just real basic stuff, but mm. you're not in that space. You're a, I don't know, a community garden, or, you know, you're doing something that's not about policy and governance and all that sort of thing. You just want to grow veggies, right? So <laughs> it's where different people have different skills in different places. But governance has become so important now. Mm. Your funders, government, philanthropic, they're looking to see if you're a viable and well-run organization before they fund you these Mm. days. Mm. And when we looked around at what's available for your, not your corporate NGO and not even your mid-ranged NGO that has all sorts of you know, people who've done this kind of thing before, but your community NGO that's just working away at the grassroots, what kind of training is there for them? There is training, right? Mm. First off, I'll say there is training for them, but sometimes it's expensive. Yes, Sometimes you go to the training and find that it's actually aimed at corporate governance, Mm. which isn't you guys. 
Sometimes it's in another town and you live in a rural area. Mm. So it involves you closing up and driving for six hours. And then you sit in a room for half an afternoon and keep falling asleep. (laughs) Sometimes it's well done. Sometimes it's not. So the other thing that's an issue with um, this sort of scenario is that a lot of people feel a bit put upon when someone says to them, you need to do governance training. Because what are you really saying? Mm. Um, Are you saying you're not smart enough to do governance training? Or I think you aren't good enough? And uh, people get defensive, especially um, we've found a lot of people defensive who are retirees, who've been in business and things like that, who's saying, what are you talking about? I know what I'm doing. I've dealt with governance for all my working life. Mm. So we looked at it and said, how do we provide governance training that solves all these issues? So we thought, first off, it needs to be accessible for everybody. Mm. Not, you know, 320 kilometres away or something like that. It needs to be in a language we all understand, not in corporate language. Mm. It needs to be easy to do. So if you're on a board, chances are you might be working full-time at another job and your board is something you do uh, outside of that. So um, you need to be able to come home in our view, and do some governance training at home easily. So it's an online, we're doing an online course. Yeah. And it's an online course that is focused on easily learnt and not stressful. Because um, as soon as it gets stressful, why would you bother? (laughs) Yeah, true. And then on top of that, we decided let's make it worth your while. How many people in NGOs do training and all sorts of things, learn skills and all sorts of things, and actually get acknowledgement for it? I know a lot of people who work in NGOs who are highly skilled in a whole lot of areas, and then they go for jobs, and the people interviewing them say, well, what are your skills? And they go, I can do this, 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 and this. And then they go, well, have you got qualifications to prove it? No. Mm, mm. You don't get many, if any, qualifications working in our sector. It's quite hard to do, especially if you're a grassroots organisation working in your community. So we're adding um, the ability to get a micro-credential. So you will come out when you've finished this course, which is 10 modules. You'll come out of it with a qualification. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And it's going to be inexpensive we're making it as cheap as we possibly can mm-hmm. you're going to be able to come home do half a module cook your tea do something else go to sleep come back to it another time and start it again where you finished nice and anything that you learn in our, our um, online uh, training modules if it changes like the incorporated societies bill is changing a few things but if something changes, as new legislation, anything like that, you will be updated by the platform that we use to the new changes, um, even if it's you did the training a year ago. You know? Oh, that's great, isn't it? Yeah. So who can actually access this training? Anyone. Do you have to be a part of an NGO already? No. So you don't have to say, this is the organisation I'm connected to. Basically, people will no. just be able to sign up and say, I want to learn this stuff. And yep. maybe then seek a position on a board. 
and they can go to the board. You know, have how yes. many how many AGMs have you seen when they're holding um, um, elections for mm. new board members? And they go, oh, look, let's nominate George because he's not here and he can't say no. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're going to have people, if you get a whole, uh, our dreamers in the future that will get ticks for governance boards, everyone on the board has done the training. The whole board will get recognised by us and and we're thinking we'll have um, events that recognise boards that have done it. If they have a, a policy that says anyone who's coming into our board either has this already or is prepared to do the training. Yes. And then you get these ticks for governance boards and people are going to be able to stand at elections and go, I've got the training. Yeah. yeah no, they... other people haven't. Yes. I'm the best person for the job. Or, you know, <clears throat> they can stand up and say, I really want to go on this board because I know that this board will get me through the training. Yeah, well, that's true. And so it's Mm. going to start making, having this training, which is fun, we've added humour to it, there's going to be videos in it, there's going to be fun little tests and you'll get assessed all the way through. There's, you know, by the time you've got through the thing, um, you're going to be so proud. Yeah, absolutely. So when is all this being launched? It's going to be launched in October at our conference. We're in the middle of putting it together now. And um, so October 28th, actually, we're launching it at our conference. In, in the last literally minute, because that's all we have left. Um, conference, conference. Yeah, conference. So people, anyone can go to the conference. What are they going to find when they get there? Okay, the conference is going to be called The Engine Room, where the mahi happens because we're a bit tired of always talking about all the CEOs and things like that and what they need to learn, and we're talking about getting together all the people who are working hard mm. and um, at the grassroots. So yeah. the first day, we, when we did our membership research, we found that a lot of our members said what we, they really want us to do is enable them to meet, to talk, to network, to have conversations together. So we're making the entire first day, apart from the pofiri, mm-hmm. and then the whole first day, or and the opening, yeah. <laughs> then the whole first day is going to be that. Right. It's going to be um, it's going to be guided, but there's going to be opportunities to talk, to meet, to network, to discuss issues. No other speakers on the first day. And the it. second day, the second day we've got just a few speakers, two speakers. Um, one is a woman called Amanda Reed, who is the most amazing woman who works in Burl. And Burl is, um, how do I describe Burl? Burl is the place where um, they're an independent economic unit. Um, they do research and things into oh, e- great. economies. Yeah. And Jeff McClay, who is the professor of law who did the original Incorporated Societies Review. Brilliant. And we're going to have a panel. Mm-hmm. And the panel is going to be about the local government review which is going to affect all NGOs because your future, especially if you're reliant on local government support, is tied up in how this review works. So we're going to have a review with, um, well, I can't confirm anyone at this that, point. That's fine. And you know what? Um, we've run out of time, so people need to actually just book in, look up CNA online, book yep. into the conference just to, um, to make sure you get access okay, to all that awesome stuff. Okay, open 1st of August. Perfect. 
early bird finishes 1st of September. So get in between the 1st of August and the 1st of September. By then we'll have everything set up for you. Fab, thank you so much. Thank you. That's Roz and that's us for another week. That's Connect with Community Waikato, Free FM 89.0. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices. Or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.